You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions, and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Sean Kelly, CEO and co-founder of Carew, formerly known as Snack Nation, humanizing the hybrid enterprise by helping companies take care of their teams with personalized care packages for every occasion. Sean, welcome to the show. Laura, thank you for having me. Thrilled to be here. Well, now you're already talking near and dear to my heart because, hey, who doesn't like snacks? So this is going to be a fun conversation before we even get started. But tell us a little bit more about Carew. What's your 30-second elevator pitch? Carew is the enterprise care platform that helps companies connect with their teams through physical, tangible products for every single occasion and moment of care. So think about whether it's snacks or gifts during the holidays, or maybe a really cool DEI curation to celebrate Women's History Month, company swag. Instead of just getting boxes of products from your company that you don't really care about, you get something that you can personalize yourself and make really meaningful and thoughtful so that you enjoy it. Instead of most of like corporate gifting and recognition, where 60% of it is thrown out. So we allow that to be really easy for companies where they can send care automated, not ad hoc at the click of a button programmatically at scale. And then we make it a beautiful experience for the recipients. So they're actually receiving really cool things. This is more important than ever in this new world where people aren't physically together as much. So we call ourselves the Amazon for the HR department. And that's what we do. I love it. I love it. I can't wait to see what's in my box when we get done. Hint, hint, no. Just anyway, moving on from there. With all that that you just described, what is your favorite part of your job and why? My favorite part of my job is, that is interesting. There are so many components of it. My favorite part of my job is building things. It's creating things. It is, at the beginning of March, 2020, we were Snack Nation. We were primarily delivering products into offices. Well, guess what? People haven't been in offices for a year and a half. And so we had to figure out how to build a new technology platform, how to build new product lines and logistic systems. We had to come together where nothing was in place. We had to come up with ideas that we then turned into reality. That's the most exciting thing about my job as an entrepreneur, as a leader, is working with people to create something out of nothing and create something that's really valuable to other people into their lives. Now, you mentioned how you started out doing the delivery to offices, physical space, obviously, that world got turned upside down a year and year and a half ago, give or take, as it did for most of us in one way, shape or form. So from there, then when you look at what's coming up, what's in the future, and maybe it's the issue that we're going hybrid. We mentioned that in the beginning. So it's going to be part home, part virtual, part in the office, et cetera. But what's coming up for you that you realize you're going to have to do some additional pivoting and how will you need to be, most importantly, how will you need to be mindful in your communication about it? What's going to be important there? I think that we are exactly where we're supposed to be. So when everybody was in the office, that was easy because that's what most people did. And then when everybody went remote, that was easy because everybody was remote. The challenge is that most products and services, they're not meant for the hybrid enterprise. Yet the future of the world is going to be hybrid. It's going to be a mix of in-person and virtual. I believe if you think otherwise, you're just kidding yourself. 
And so that's the thing that I'm most excited about is that we can actually build products and services. Now, will our products and services have to change? Absolutely. We're going to do that by listening to all of our customers, by building products for the office. And when teams are remote, multiple addresses, we're going to have to figure things out across the board. And we're going to have to stay really close to our customer and listen to what they're saying to us so that we can continue to iterate and build what they want. Because frankly, we're all building this plane while we fly it. Nobody actually knows what we need or what's going to happen. That to me is so exciting as an entrepreneur. And from a communication perspective, I don't think it's so much what I'm saying or what we are saying. Yes, we're going to put out a lot of thought leadership in terms of all of our learnings. But I think more than anything, it's what we're listening to and then translating what we're hearing from our customers into product services, ideas, education that will help everyone. Could not have said it better myself. So now, when you talk about everyone, you kind of literally mean everyone here. So if we were going to be a little bit more, but let's qualify. Who are some of the stakeholder groups that you personally need to influence? Ugh, the first one that I think about is my leadership team, because my leadership team, they touch everybody else in the organization. But it's not just my leadership team. It's every single team member that we have beyond our team, which is certainly the most important thing. Strategy is very important, but it's people always. Beyond that, it's my board. It's investors, the venture capital community. It's the overall audience, frankly. I mean, it's even like a LinkedIn audience that's thinking about how am I going to work in this new realm and how am I going to be the best professional? So there's a lot of different audiences and I speak to all of them almost every single day, wow. <laughs> which requires a little bit of adaptation depending on who the audience is. I would think that requires a lot of flexibility just because you're representing the same company to every group, obviously, but the way that you need to shift your angle, your approach, the details that you include or what anybody, any of those individual groups is most interested in and why has to shift in one way or another. And you and I spoke right before the show about the skill set of translating mm -hmm. from one group to another. And so how have you learned to adapt to be able to flex that often, that quickly from one call to the next through the course of the day in a way that still accomplishes what you need to accomplish, but effectively landing for all those different groups that you just said? Well, first of all, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. The key is recognizing oh, I'm, I'm ending the interview right now. You're we're, not perfect. I got the wrong guy. We're done. Uh, I think the first, I mean, a big part is obviously recognizing when you're not speaking to the audience in the right way. And when I say the right way, one of the best pieces of advice that I ever received from a public speaker said, Sean, in order to be the best public speaker, which at the end of the day means that you're translating information, you're helping those people positively transform in some way that matters to them. The best thing you can do is put yourself in the audience shoes and ask them, where are they coming from? What shoes are they sitting in today? So if you're looking at an audience, you're like, oh, wow, I'm at this conference, or at least in the past world, I'm here and this person probably stayed out too late, probably had too many drinks. They're probably tired. They're probably going to listen to eight different talks. They're probably stressed out. They might be having a marital challenge. And I think that's the key is that every time that I speak to an audience, I'm asking, what does my board care about right now? What are they thinking about? What are my employees? Well, is that an employee a manager or is it a frontline individual contributor or is it one of my fellow C-suite members? And so it's just first having empathy for your audience and recognizing where are they coming from? What do they care about right now? If I'm not applying that filter, I'm probably not doing a very good job of communicating. And that's a, once you get in the habit of it, it's really just a quick set, aim, and then fire approach that I've found to be pretty useful. I think you hit on a really important element there, which for a lot of people has not become second nature yet, but you can make those shifts 
pretty quickly. It is just a matter of learning to, to strengthen that muscle. And once it does become reflex where you start to ask yourself, okay, what do I need to do? Who are they? What are they struggling with right now? What do they need to know? And you go through that list just as a, almost an unconscious reflex. That's when you're able to be so much more effective with so many more people. And that's, so I'm so glad to hear you reinforce that notion. Absolutely. And I think so many people, Laura, have a challenge because like, well, that's not authentic. That's not true. Like empathy and authenticity can exist collectively. And I believe one of the most beautiful things about life is that we are all so much more common than we are different. And I think we all occupy different levels of energy. We're all leaders in some ways. And frankly, we're all kind of scared and learning things for the first time. And it's that entire ladder that if we're honest with ourselves, we can occupy to be both authentic and empathetic. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and having the emotion, sharing your emotion, connecting with other people's emotion, you don't have to wear your emotions on your sleeve necessarily. And you don't have to emote and be emotional in, in the sort of uncontrolled or or just fully uninhibited space. But there's it's all about balance, right? It's it's how much think about it like your DJ mixing board of sorts and a uh, little more trouble, a little less bass, a little more of this and that. So you find the way to connect with those people, but in a way that's still you. I think that's really mission critical. So I'm glad to hear you talk about the authenticity piece along with the empathy. Now, your world is about the virtual space insofar as A, your teams are primarily remote. And of course, your whole mission and your program is about helping your clients virtual teams still feel connected and still feel cared for. So when you think about how your work has evolved in the last year or so, Mm -hmm. what have you learned to do better in the virtual space? How have you become more effective leading your own teams virtually, your own teams? I believe the main ways that I've improved or I've been forced to improve is probably a combination of directness and brevity Mm. with vulnerability and openness. I'll start with the latter. I think that in this world where we cannot touch and we cannot hug, one of my love languages is touch, not in a creepy way. It's just like, I like to, you know, I like to grab somebody's hand. I like to put my, you know, hand on their shoulder. If if somebody was, give me a hug, I'm a hugger. You know, I know in the, in the workplace, you can't always do that, but I like that. And it's, and even, even just seeing people's motions and seeing the way that their legs move and their hands move and hand gestures. When you don't have it, I think you have to find another way to connect. And I think one of the only ways to do that is beyond, by the way, still be animated. I'm being animated here. I love animation. I encourage people to do it, especially when they're excited or passionate about something. But I think one of the best ways to do this through vulnerability is through showing your humanness. And so coming in and being very direct of, guys, I am scared about this. I just had this happen in my life and I'm actually really sad. Like this personal thing occurred to me and it's really causing me a little bit of cloudiness as a result. And frankly, some of these things are easier than they've ever been before because we're in our homes. And so you see a little naked kid run in the door, you hear a dog bark, you hear, you know, weird things in the background that it's like, finally, like, let's not shut those things down. Let's laugh about it and recognize like we're all humans. And so I think that's the main thing is just showing people like, I think my team knows more about me now and more of my humanness than ever before. I at least would hope so. The second part is just the importance of being direct. We, at the beginning of the pandemic, were in Zoom meetings, I'm not kidding, for 10 to 12 hours a day, especially figuring out what we needed to. I learned pretty quickly that is soul-sucking and torturous. And so when we do communicate together for the purposes of business, I'm not talking about the really fun moments where we just connect, which you have to create space for, but when we're creating for the purpose purely of business, let's be direct, have trust in one another, not repeat things 17 times, because that's just going to kill people's souls. So I have learned as somebody who often likes to utilize language extensively, 
to try to be more of a bottom line communicator to save my team and so other people follow suit. I think that makes it a lot easier or it's easier to do that when you have figured out how to get your team to not be multitasking, have the cameras on, be fully present, because then you don't have to say things 17 times because they all hear you the first time. And, you know, we all love to think we're good at multitasking. We're not. And we should really just admit that, accept that, that it is it is frustrating and something I find a lot of people really struggle with. People don't want to be on the calls, so they're just kind of mailing it in. And that's anything but efficient, to say the least. You know, I love the the examples that you brought up as far as, you know, a little naked kid running across the back and the dogs and whatever else. I've literally had both of those experiences. Uh, and actually, the one was I've been doing a lot of virtual coaching with my clients for years. Previously, it was on Skype and FaceTime and pre-pandemic and pre-everybody else doing it. And so I didn't have my background here. I just had the door to, you know, this is my home office. And my son was probably about two and a half or so. And we had a nanny who was, I guess, I was on a meeting with somebody on probably FaceTime at the time. And I think she was giving him a bath down the hall and he must have been able to hear me through the wall. And she takes him out of the tub to dry him off. And he escaped like a little greased pig, comes running through. And apparently I'd forgotten to lock the door. So all of a sudden the door explodes open and there's my like two and a half year old, of course, running straight to the camera because he's like, oh, yes. I want to say hi. There's a picture, you know, camera. I want the microphone. And I just went, oh my goodness. Okay. Can somebody get me a towel? Let's hit mute, turn the camera off and and the thank goodness the guy on the other end just burst out laughing and he was like well that just humanized the conversation and i thought to myself yes yes that's a great euphemism we're gonna go with humanize humanize that conversation but you have to laugh at it you have to realize this is of course that can't be your rule that's got to be the exception next time laura note to self lock the door and we'll go from there well laura i love this like i think about this if i was somebody applying for a job and i was i had an interview who would be my boss I would actually set that up as a test for my boss. I would have something ridiculous happen in my background that was just, you know, it's just life, right? A naked kid, a dog <laughs> running and jumping at my desk. Not that we're encouraging you all to put your children naked on screen during business meetings. So let's just be disclaimer there. Well, maybe I am, but Laura's not, maybe I am. <laughs> um, maybe put a diaper on, but, and then see how the boss reacts. Like it's one of the things that the person on the other side acts like they get all ticked off and pissed off. I'm like, do you really want to work with that person? Like if they can't laugh about life happening, come on. That's the coolest thing about what we're going through is the fact that we are figuring out how to be great professionals while having wonderful personal lives. Like in this new world, which is unbelievably transformative, I think it's one of the greatest transformations in the history of humankind, right? You think of going from agrarian to an industrial to information to this next stage. Sure. This next stage, it's gonna be the first time ever where people can be wonderful moms and wonderful professionals. I'm not saying you couldn't do that before, but now you can do that. And I think enterprise is like, what person today wants to work for an enterprise that doesn't humanize the experience? Anyway, I could, I could riff on this for a long time because I think it's one of the freaking coolest things. And it's one of the things, even though there's a lot of challenge interlaced with what's going on in this transformation, I think it's one of the most beautiful things. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have to say, I have loved the commute and I love the fact that I get to be part of my kids' lives so much more than I would have been if I was commuting, you know, 45 minutes each way, multiple days a week or going to different client meetings all over the place. It certainly helps to have that. We won't call it balance, but we'll call it the integration, right? The work-life integration and get to nourish both sides of you, personal and professional. So yes, 100% will be evangelizing that gospel for you for sure. Now, all right, John, this brings us to the listener 24-hour influence challenge. And this is an opportunity for you to talk directly to our listeners at home and 
Give them one step to take, challenge them to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today? I think Ben Franklin had it right when he recognized something that was contrary to what most people believed. And that is that if you want to be able to influence somebody, ask them to help you. Because when somebody helps you, they're acting directly in alignment with your interests and are more likely to follow you and be on the same side with you in the future. It's also a beautiful thing. So if I came to you, Laura, and I said, hey, you know what, Laura, you're a wonderful communicator. I am struggling, or at least would like your advice in a couple of areas where I think communication are really important. What would you do in these instances? There, I'm complimenting Laura, but not in a way that seems like it's you know false flattery. And I'm asking for her feedback in an area where she likely knows she's really good. And I think at the end of the day, everybody wants to help other people. So this is it's a little bit different than what most people would do is like, I'm going to send that person a gift. But frankly, when you send people a gift, it's nice, but then you're just tapping into reciprocity. And I think when you actually create that true bond and alignment of assistance, it's greater than what even a gift can do. All right, everybody, you understand that the importance of being able to ask somebody to do something for you, maybe not wash your car, or maybe it is wash your car. I don't know. I guess it depends on who it is and what you want to ask. But thinking about the connection between rather than giving, requesting as an influence strategy. That's interesting. So take that home, have a cup of coffee, mull that over a little bit later today. Now, in doing all these different kinds of communications with all these different groups, I'm guessing, I'm sure everybody out there is mostly convinced that you were probably just born perfect, that you've never made a mistake in your life. But I'm guessing if we dig deep, we're going to find at least one mistake in there someplace. Can you share a communications-related mistake that you've made at some point? And if you could have a do-over, what would it sound like? If you speak to my wife, (laughs) my friend, they'll they'll make it very clear that I am very good at making frequent mistakes. The one that jumps out at me, because it's the one that I struggle with the most and still occurs. I believe the gift of leadership is that you are forced to show up positively for your team no matter what. I call it the gift of leadership. I think it's one of the most beautiful things about being in a leadership role is that as a result of being in that role, you elevate yourself and elevate your team in ways that maybe you wouldn't otherwise. However, the downside of that is that you can lead yourself and your culture into toxic positivity. And this is by looking at everything in the world with rose-tinted glasses. And sometimes what the team needs and what you need, and especially your leadership team and people making decisions is reality and realistic and calling out, this is bad. This is a challenge. If we do not fix this, we are screwed. And just being very, very clear in terms of where the organization's doing well and where it's not, and not trying to put all of that on your shoulders as a leader. I've struggled with that over time and I have been accused of toxic positivity. And now I do my very best job to be incredibly realistic about everything that we face as a business and as people and what we need to do about it and try to share that burden with the team while being very optimistic. Is there an example where you can describe some sort of challenge that you maybe sugarcoated a little too much and didn't? Is that what I'm understanding? That there, there was something where they didn't really understand what it was that you were? Let me ask it this way. When you think about toxic positivity, what would it look like in practice? What's an an example or a case study? Because people hear those words, but I'm not sure that they can envision what it would sound like. How would they recognize it if they heard it? Toxic positivity, I have multiple examples of this. Okay. But toxic positivity would be in March of 2020 when recognizing that over 80% of our revenue 
came from delivering products into offices. Toxic positivity was initially me coming out there and saying, yeah, you know what? People are probably not going to be in offices for four weeks or so, and we should probably figure something out about this, but we're going to be okay. We're going to figure it out and we're going to do it. That doesn't inspire action. What I needed to do after letting people know that we'd have it figured out is I needed to come and say, guys, this is probably going to be something where people are not going to be in offices for a very long time. That means our entire business is being disrupted and we're probably going to lose 80% or more of our revenue. If we do not figure this out and understand what to do, we will be out of business and out of jobs. So we have this period of time, this amount of cash. This is the exact situation. If we do this, it's going to be remarkable. And there's going to be Harvard business case studies written about us. If we don't, we're all going to be searching for jobs or doing something else by this period of time. And so that was the shift for me of just going from, I'm going to take care of this to, this is a massive, massive, massive issue. And if we do not have every single person understanding how urgent we need to change and adapt and the effort that we need to give, we're screwed. So that's one, <laughs> that's one example where I just called out to people, like I let them know very clearly what was the reality of if we achieved our goals and if we didn't. Mm. And that's really hard to look your team in the eyes and to tell them, if we don't do this, the company's gone and your jobs are too. Right, right. Which, of course, if God forbid that is the direction things go, then you're going to have to have that conversation with them anyway when the paycheck stops coming in. So much better to have it earlier where you have a chance of mitigating that result, that outcome. Exactly. And I think something that's more common is it's the challenge of radical candor between people. Mm. And so there's times where you especially have, let's say, somebody that you've met recently or a new employee on your team. You see not an instance where a new employee on our team that we've recently hired comes in and I see them doing things that are either not in line with our culture or that I feel are a bit of a half-assed job. I can think about, oh my gosh, they're new. I want them to love their job. I know they could work at many other places. I'm going to be easy on them. Or I can let them know very quickly and very rapidly, hey, Laura, I saw you do this. I'm not coming to you with this quick of a reaction because I think it's that big of a deal, but I want to attack this with you right on and let you know it rather than just act like everything's going to be resolved and just sit in this place where everything's positive and everything's good. So not sure if that's a great example, but there's a lot of different ways throughout our day-to-day operations where this shows itself. Yes, yes. And I think that's... It is exactly. That's the problem is that there are examples every day, almost in every conversation. There's so many little opportunities and moments where we don't realize that we often, if anything, we realize it after the fact that we could have been so much clearer or we could have been so much more effective in the way that we message something, particularly a crucial conversation like those. Ideally, we learn from our mistakes. And when we have to have those similar conversations later on, we do it more effectively each time. That's, of course, I think also an important mark of a, of a good leader is that you learn from your mistakes. I, mean, I forget who it was who said, you know, why bother making the same mistake twice when there's so many new ones to try? That's wonderfully said. So with that, let's talk a little bit about those, about succession planning. And when people are trying to figure out how to prepare their high potential leaders or prepare their successors, right? Those who are their next in lines for things. What advice do you have to them with regard to preparing their successors, their future leaders with the right communication skills? And for that matter, how did you learn that, these lessons yourself? I think it's a lot easier to learn from mistakes than it is from successes. So I'm just going to tell you, I've made multiple mistakes here. And I'm actually, it's one that I've repeated multiple times and been surprised about, but I just finally recognized 
I think when you hire a successor, whether it's somebody to handle a particular responsibility that you have, or it's like a CEO hiring a CEO or whatever it may be, or just a new, a new person in your position, it's very easy if you are a self-aware individual to say, how do I want this person to be better than me? What are the voids that I have that I want this person to fill? But in doing that, you may hire the person that actually has voids in the areas where you're strong. And so they actually come into the role and you're setting them up for failure because yes, they have some things that you don't have, but they don't have all those things that made you successful in the position. And so I think the most important thing when hiring a successor or bringing somebody into a role or responsibility that you're currently taking on is to ask the people that interact with that role, that responsibility, ask the people around you saying, what are the things that I do well from a communication perspective? What are the things that are my strengths here that we need to make sure that this other person does? And you need to listen to the people around you because I often think that our strengths and our unique abilities, we do not recognize them in ourselves. Other people do. And so my feedback there is primarily to ask the right questions and be incredibly clear with the people around you about what those strengths are and not just focus on where people can be better than you are. Are there particular communication skills that you feel like people need to make sure are part of their successor's toolbox? I guess I would ask you for what particular role, right? So that's what I would ask is... okay. I'm going to throw it right back at you. What's, how does it differ? Because I think that different roles have different audiences. Okay. And so, and I think that those different audiences require different levels of candor, require at sometimes different levels of information. And obviously audiences have different needs as we discussed before. So it'd be hard for me to say, this is what every role needs. No, not everyone necessarily, but it would be interesting to get an example. So when you say different roles have different audiences and thus different needs, if you were hiring a successor for your CFO versus your COO, what would you say would be a difference? I mean, of course, everybody needs to be a good communicator in general, but what's a, a unique difference between a particular skill one should have versus the other? I love that. Let's first look at a similarity. So CEO and CFOs, both need to be great bottom line communicators. And what I mean by bottom line communicators, it doesn't just mean brevity. It doesn't just mean simple language. It means the ability to assess a complex multivariable situation and be able to state it very simply. So many people come in who are not C-level. And what I see is the challenge is they're like, here's all the variables. Here's this massive problem. And it's like, okay, you understand the problem and all the variables better than anyone. What I need you to do is rather than put all of that on my plate, actually go through and figure out, okay, so those are the variables. Now what? What's the question? What's the solve? So that's something CEOs and CFOs, and I think anybody who wants to rise up and lead needs to have. I'd say the difference with a CEO from a CFO is if I was hiring a CEO, they would need to be inspiring. And what I mean by that is CFOs are backwards looking. Not all of them. Many of them are very good, but a big part of a CFO's job is looking backwards and then extrapolating that to the future. CEOs, especially as an organization gets larger, have to be incredibly inspiring in terms of always tying everything that a company does to the future objective. And so it's not inspiring in terms of motivational language that doesn't hold any weight. It's more of saying, here's a daily task that we have to do today. And this is why it matters for what our vision is three years down the road. That's something a CEO needs. A CFO, if they do it, awesome. But I haven't, I haven't met any CFOs that, that do. I love the way you summarized it, that an important distinction between them is that, to an extent at least, CFOs are predominantly backward 
looking. They're looking at the past histories, trajectories, et cetera. And CEOs need to be future looking. Ideally, both will have both skill sets, but your ability to message something to, and I've always said that leadership in itself is an image and that because people will either see you as a leader or not, regardless of what your actual role is and your ability to communicate with people in the sense that you can get them to see your vision in a way that makes them want to get on board with it and help you turn it into reality is really the mark of a, of a true leader, certainly from the CEO perspective, as you are, as you're describing it. And my sense would be that to the extent that the CEFO needs to be able to take that history and that backward looking, understanding and clarity and extrapolate it, to use your term, into a, so here's what the future needs to look like. Help me see that vision and get on board with how do we use the money in order to achieve it, that that's also how it translates into that role. Did I interpret that accurately? I think that was very well said. I loved specifically how you tied together at the end, how the best CFO CEO partnerships, they do end up supporting one another and they end up getting the CFO to say, the CFO comes along and says, okay, I know the numbers. I see the vision. Now let me build the forecast in the numbers based on the past and what I've seen that will allow us to get there. So I love that you tied that in and that's dead on. All right. So Sean, you and I are going to take over the world in about five minutes when we wrap this up. And as our final, my final question to you is to talk about that future, that future generation, as a matter of fact. If you were asked to give the commencement address at a high school graduation ceremony, what advice would you give the graduates? Whether or not they're going to college, regardless of their major or their career goals, what's the one thing they need to do to be successful? I would encourage them to wear a bracelet that says now on it. Interesting. And my commentary around it would be, be very careful about what you desire because desire is often false. It does not mean that you should not ask yourself what you want or what life you want to create because I think it's a very important question or else you're just going to run aimlessly and maybe end up in the same spot or worse. But it's don't do it that often. Ask yourself what you want. Think about how you can get there. And instead of just every single day and every single moment being like, what do I want? What do I want? What do I want? Ask yourself, what does this moment demand of me? That's how you be present. That's how you do not get caught in the constant gap of desire from where you are to where you want to be. It not only will allow you to lead a happier and more fulfilled life, but the crazy thing is you'll actually get to your desires far sooner than if you just stood in this constant thought of what you want. So I'd say, have desires, but have them very few. Question them intensely. Think about them, but only think about them on the weekends. Otherwise, ask yourself, what does this moment demand of me? And recognize that no matter where you're in life, this moment was made for you. Like you are on this path for a reason. Don't desire other people's paths. This is your path. This is your moment. Kick ass in this moment. Love it. Love it. Words of wisdom for everybody, frankly. I think I got to go online and find out where I can get a now bracelet. I'm going to leave it here on my desk. I love it. Sean, how can people learn more about you and Carew? Check out Carew.com, C-A-R-O-O.com to take care of your team, the people in your life. We're launching lots of new products and services rapidly. So the company will be expanding and elevating. But if there's a way that we can help you take care of the people that matter the most in your life, we'd love the chance to do so. And of course, we'll post that link in the show notes. So if you didn't catch it, don't worry about it. Stay driving, both hands on the wheel, and uh, check out the show notes later on when you have a chance to stop at a red light or something. So with that, Sean, once again, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Thank you for having me, Laura. It's been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate it. 
And thank you, everybody, for listening once again. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for better virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.